Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dynamo's Dozen. You're listening to Dynamo's Dozen. Now let's welcome your host, Team Dynamo Kelly. Welcome to Dynamo's Dozen, the podcast that I bring you each and every single week where I talk about whatever may be on my mind from pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, music, Movies, muesli, fresh shocks and jocks and everything in between, never forgetting the towel. And today, it is that time of year where we have our quarterly show with the great Finley Martin. And as you can see, his smile on his face, he never gets tired of that intro, it seems. Welcome to the show, Finley. Yeah, thanks for having me back. And can I if just it, say, you know, you've obviously rehearsed the previous bit. You got that down to a T. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's like um, it's, we're like chalk and cheese at this stage. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not a chore ever when you're on the show, Finley. So, um, welcome. We 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 said today, originally we were going to do a kind of a an AEW full gear review. That was our initial thoughts, um, but obviously, you've done a couple of uh, you you've done a show on it as well, where people may have seen it, and plus there's been. You know, they're two a penny at this stage. How many reviews are there? Exactly. So but what we can do is we can maybe maybe go through some talking points that I picked out from the show and look at it rather than rather than reviewing a match yes. per se. We can look at some of the some of the talking points. Obviously, uh, good to see them out at their usual home as well. Obviously, they, they went to Minnesota for this Minneapolis. Um, I think it's crazy when I was looking at the pay-per-view boys, I think it was like 150,000, which is kind of like crazy when you think back, even back in the WCW days, even in, even in their bad days, they were kind of, you know, probably doubling that. You probably have a better, better number off your head in terms of off the top of your head, but they were probably yeah. in and around that figure a little bit more, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when I first started, you know, around the time, sort of 92, 93 during the Watts era, Kip Fry era yes. um, and really the starter, Eric Bischoff, they would usually do around about 100,000 buys. That was like their yeah. base level. Sometimes we do fewer buys than that. Uh, and I remember in 93 when they did like, I think they did like four shows in the space of like four months. I remember they did mm-hmm. Battle Bowl, they did Starcade, they did Halloween Havoc, they did Fall Brawl, all in rapid succession. Plus they would have had the Clash TV specials. The numbers did dip then because it was thought that they were just doing putting too much product out there. Sure, uh, but certainly, you know, when Hogan arrived, they were doing two hundred thousand plus on uh, fairly regularly, uh, and at the peak, sort of ninety six to ninety eight, 
they were often topping 300,000 and everyone knows Starcade 97 did over 600,000, didn't it? That was their biggest ever number. But 150,000, if that, if that number is accurate, still early days yet. You know, I, mean, good. I, I, am, I imagine that maybe years ago, it would take them a long time to really confirm the numbers. Yeah. And like full gear was Saturday. Today is Thursday. And, you know, that's got to be a sort of just an estimate. I mean, yeah. It's hard to believe that they're going to know for sure yeah it's done this early in the day well what we're going to do i'm going to surprise you in a little while to bring you on a trip uh, down memory lane for wcw as well so in the great kind of uh, in the great format of of uh, billy Connolly, we will segue or we'll always come back so uh, i'm glad you mentioned the wcw numbers there because i would like to maybe have some fun and go back and look at some old wcw stuff in that time because believe it or not Thanks to the great WWE Network, we all get the chance to go back and follow that stuff in synchronicity as well, which is great. Um, and I've been doing that, and I've had a lot of fun doing it. In fact, more so. Fun. So where are you up to? Are you, are you going through <coughs> in chronological order? Well, let's start there. Let's start with that then, now that, now that it's on the tip of our tongues. So what I did was, <coughs> excuse me, it's not COVID, ladies and gentlemen. I just downed the... A, a glass of coke there and uh yeah it wasn't just... it was it was a jaeger bomb own up to it <laughs> it was jaeger yeah i'm wearing a clash t-shirt here so as you can see it's like i'm uh, definitely jaeger bombing it out here with finn you know <laughs> finn is on the uh finn's on the um you're on the champagne as always aren't champagne, you champagne that's right yeah the yeah. moe you're the classy Verve man Clico, the verve clico they're the two favorites Dom Perignon. Don't <laughs> <turn you> on. <laughs> um, yeah, so what I did was, it was around Halloween time, a lot of the listeners will remember, I did a solo show, and I did it on the history of Halloween Havoc, just because I've always really been intrigued by that, um, the aura of that pay-per-view, more so yeah. the Halloween's a favourite kind of time of mine, but I always loved the the entrances. I loved the, the sets that they used to do. I used to love the kind of atmosphere that was created around it. So I did a, I did a show on the history of Halloween Havoc. And it basically got me to go back and start from around 94, from the start of 94, just, just from that year. And I'm working my way upwards because they don't really have all of the WWE Saturday nights on the network yet. So you can't really follow the weekly episodic stuff. So you got to yeah. kind of fill in the blanks between the pay-per-views and the Clash of the Champions. Um, yeah. And I'm up now to Bash at the Beach 94 with, obviously, the build-up with, with, to, to Flair and Hogan. So it's, uh, man, some of those pay-per-views are fantastic. Some of the matches on those pay-per-views, like even, you know, even looking at um, Regal working with Brian Pillman and, you know, Austin working with Rick Rude. Um, Steamboat in there working with Rude as well. Some of the matches that were on that on those cards were just absolutely phenomenal. And and I suppose you had the great Jesse Ventura in at the time, yeah. and Bobby's just come in as well. And like the storytelling, WCW really did a great job. And I think it's very understated unless you go back and look at it. They really did a great job from start to finish, especially Tony Schiavone uh, being the playboy play guy who I. Personally, don't know about you, but I, I don't think Tom Schiavone gets enough credit for uh, his work. Um, well, he, well, he became like a pariah, didn't he? You know, yeah. the, you know the butts in seats comment. Yeah. He was never forgiven for that. 
Yes. And, um, you know, I, I remember kind of feeling bad for Tony Schiavone because that yes. was a life that was fed to him. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, we are, we were at this point, WCW and WWF, we're, we're in the middle of a, a really quite unpleasant wrestling war. Yes. And lots of like shots, shots have been fired on both sides. Lots of unpleasant comments have been made back and forth. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why Tony Schiavone was so vilified for that comment. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. never really been able to understand it. But no. someone somewhere decided that he was a bad guy for saying the ball that. guy. Yeah. You know, and he was the person that we, you know, we were supposed to dislike. And when you listen and look at Tony Schiavone now in AEW, it's like he's so excited. He's so thrilled to be back in wrestling. Yeah. But I think most of all, what he's most um, elated or delighted or perhaps relieved is the word, uh, is that he's been forgiven finally for the butts in seats line. Yeah. Yeah. And he's even got is he a graphic novel out that's called, that's yes. named Butts in Seats. Yeah. So it's like everyone's forgiven Tony. You know, yeah. people have wrapped their arms around and said, Tony, we forgive you for that comment. And considering, yeah, as I said, it was it was at the height of a, a really pretty nasty wrestling war where and there was, you know, no one was innocent. There was just like shots fired, you know, they were like stones were thrown back and forth. And people said and did things that really weren't very nice at all. But that was the environment at the time. And if you were on one side, it was your job, basically, to knock the other side. And that was the way it was. Those were the rules. That was the environment and the atmosphere at the time. It's true. And it's kind of, and WCW or WWE have always liked to play victim from, from the very get go. I mean, yeah. it was okay for Vince to go in and, you know, put people out of business and poach talent and all this kind of stuff. But as soon as it happened to him, it was, you know what I mean? It was, ah, oh, this is yeah. not right. Do you I know mean, what I mean? I mean you remember Bill and Ted's wrestling war, war room, right? Yeah. I mean, that was spiteful. That was that was just that was just snide. The Nacho like, Man and the Hookster. I mean, I remember watching that as a kid, and I was like, "That is actually just taking shots at the at the guys, not the not the character. You're taking shots yeah. at the guys personally." I mean, so, yeah, it was personal. Absolutely, yeah. it was personal, and that was far worse than Tony Schiavone's butts in seats line about Mick Foley. And I thought Foley really showed some brass neck actually ringing, because you know, he, he detailed this in his first book, didn't he? Obviously, yeah. his second book. In one of his books, anyway, it was either his first or his second one. Um, he actually he, he recounted the details of calling Tony Schiavone up and basically telling him off on the phone. This is a, like a guy in the WWF yeah. taking a shot at someone in WCW. And like, Foley was no innocent. He famously, when he was in ECW, when he was recognized as WCW World Tag Team Champion, Kevin Sullivan, if memory serves me correctly, yep. you will uh, correct me, I'm sure, if, if I'm wrong on that one. On ECW TV, he held up the WCW World Tag Team title and spat on it on TV. Yeah. Whilst he was recognized as champ and under contract to WCW. Yeah. So how Foley could, you know, portray himself as the victim of this great injustice after all the things he had said and done about WCW. I mean, that took some gall, Ian. It really did. He's going to be their champion. <laughs> that was when I was watching that at the time, and I just went, 
good one, Bischoff. I mean, <laughs> it's it's it, it's true. And I mean, WWE were the ones to kind of really fire those shots first. And I think, you know, they just didn't realize how big and brash the balls of Eric Bischoff were at yeah. the time. <laughs> you know, Bischoff yeah. still has that one over Vince where he challenged him to a real fight. And he was like, well, I didn't know whether he was going to show up at Slambury, but if he did, I was ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Was it? Uh, I think it was Worcester, Massachusetts, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, Slambury, 1998. 1998, yeah. that's right, yeah. That was just brilliant, wasn't it? He issues the challenge, and then I think that was on Nitro. Yeah. And I think it was on Thunder, yeah, you had to go on and do a clarification because I think a legal letter had been sent that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't read it. The implication was that you know WWF at the time. So, oh, Tony Schiavone is mentioning that Vince is going to be there to try and pump up their jack up their buy rate. Vince will not be there, and then Bischoff and Thunder had to say, "I've challenged him. He won't be there. So don't buy this event thinking that Vince will be there." So to clarify <laughs> that one, I mean that was just brilliant, wasn't it? It was. And I it think was like, I think what WWF's legal eagle, I'm not sure it was, could have been Mr. McDevitt, might not have been Jerry McDevitt. I think the argument was like, well, wrestling fans, they're they're accustomed to being deceived. So when Eric says that Vince won't be there, that wrestling fans will interpret it, interpret that to mean that he he will be there. So you end in this weird world of double talk. It was, um, and it was just the weirdest thing, wasn't it? The weirdest I, story. I think what really happened there was I mean, Vince's ego, because he likes to have this kind of tough guy persona, you know, and he always kind of mentions that even on his DVD. I love to fight. I love women and I love to fight. Just yeah. just not a guy from Calgary after you really pissed him off. Don't fight that. That's really. right. Yeah, that didn't work out too. That real fight didn't work out too no, for it. Not not even and, and the more stories we are in Montreal month. You know, when you hear that story of how the actual fight happened and when you hear people talk about it, it was like Vince was ready to go for it. This supposed, oh, you have a free shot kind of thing yeah. doesn't really hold anyway. It was like, no, you got your ass kicked. Well, um, you surely remember the story as well uh, of his meeting with Harley Race before Starcade 83. Please clarify this for me because I know you know the story well. Go ahead. Well, uh, we did an interview with Harley. Uh, for Power Slam, it's in the Power Slam interviews volume two. If you if you would like to read it, and I know uh, Harley also uh, detailed this in his memoir, his autobiography, King of the Ring. Um, and he met with Vince prior to Starcade '83, um, which is obviously a huge show, closed circuit TV. And uh, this was before Vince had gone national, but he was just about to, like the next month. Um, and Vince basically offered Harley a lot, a lot of money to no-show Starkid and to come and work for him. Uh, and Harley turned it down and Vince didn't like it. He was uh, furious that someone had said no to him. And this was in 83. Yeah. You know, he only bought the company from his father the previous year. Um, and then <laughs> Vince basically like tried to take Harley down and uh, it didn't end well for Vince. Let's just say, it. let's just put it that way. You know, Vince, I think he'd had one or two, you know, and uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't really the best idea to try and take down someone uh, with the toughness and the skills of Harley Race. But uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a story. That Dude, Vince you could train, you could train a year with Conor McGregor and you still wouldn't be taking Harley Race down. 
it's, you know, oh. it's, it's uh, yeah. I suppose this is just the brashness and the balls of the man. I, I think he believes, maybe even more so than some of these pro wrestlers, he believes his own kind of whatever the voices in his head tell him. That's yeah. that's what he believes. But um, so let's let's look at um, we'll come back to WCW a little bit later, um, because it is it is fun to go down memory lane uh, in the. In, in what I still consider to be good times in wrestling, especially with storylines and, and some of these kind of guys and girls that we've grown up loving and seeing them kind of still technically in their prime. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always loved the Halloween Havoc event. And I was yeah. really disappointed that the spin the wheel make the deal uh, gimmick only lasted like two years. Yeah. 92, which was a big flop. Uh, and yeah. with a coal miners glove match between Jake Roberts and Sting. Yeah. With all the options on the wheel, are you giving us a coal miners glove match? Really? <laughs> and then the following year, I think it was a Texas death match between yes. Cactus and, and Big Van Vader, or Vader, I think he was called yeah. by then. Yeah. And that was better. Um, but you still, I don't know, you just sort of expected a little bit more from it. And I think the problem with Cactus and Vader was they'd already really had their feud. You yeah. know, they'd already had a lot of matches. So it didn't really feel fresh by that point. And uh, I was really pleased that NXT brought it back. Um, yeah. I think it was I think it was last year they brought it back. And um, I thought this is a gimmick that they've got in the storeroom. They obviously got the rights to it when they bought WCW, all the intellectual property and trademarks and gimmicks and et cetera, et cetera. And I was really pleased when they brought it back last year for NXT and um, retained it for NXT 2.0 this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a bit daft on this week, on this year's show, um, but... I mean, I enjoyed the show and I really enjoyed seeing that gimmick and uh, I'm hoping we're going to see it again next year. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's let's go back to AEW. For me, some of the things that I kind of pointed out in terms of what I, what I liked and what I didn't like, um, obviously, some long matches on this, very, very old school WCW in terms of when you look at the length of the matches. Um, I thought... MJF and Darby Allen, I thought it went on a little bit too long. I mean, there was one spot in it that it just absolutely infuriated me where they were just rolling around in the ring. Was that at the beginning or was that after the Tombstone Pal Drive? I believe it was after it and they were doing that the kind of pin combos. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, because what had happened was, um, yeah, MJF did the Tombstone on the apron. Yeah. Um, Darby fell to the floor. Uh, Darby was outside the ring. I actually t- timed this. Darby was outside the ring for 43 seconds and yet somehow still beat the 10 count. I yep. mean, can you believe it? It's a miracle. So and then they went back in the ring. Darby's back in the ring. And instead of instinctively covering Darby as soon as he made it back in the ring, they then did all those inside cradle. I think, I think MGF went for a suplex. And that was countered with an inside cradle. And then they did all these different pinning combinations. That's the, the sequence you're referring to, isn't it? Exactly. And look, I like the two guys. I see a lot of potential in both of them. I think they both have their place. Um, I think even though Darby is like super small, super small. Um, I like, I'd like him to wear some knee pads or something because those legs are really, really, really small. And, you know, for the kind of style that he wrestles, I'm like, okay. <laughs> just put some knee pads on at least but uh yeah. yeah i mean it was it was decent some of the i mean i wasn't i wasn't crazy about the tag match it was okay um brian danielson and miro was quite physical Um, i thought it was pretty decent i mean daniel Bryan looks like he's come just to really kind of 
kick the shit out of people, doesn't he? He's, he's kind of, it's like, he's, oh, missed yeah, yeah. That, he's missed that, um, that physical style. I mean, his chest is just lit up after <laughs> every match now. I mean, I mean, what a run for, I mean, I don't think we've spoken since Brian arrived, have we? Yes, we, we, the last time we spoke was when it was just as we were expecting the, the arrival of Punk and Brian. Okay, I mean, so this is actually there. There's our talking point now. <laughs> I mean, Water is on the the best one of his career. I mean, yeah. the guy's to me the best wrestler in the world at this moment in time. On form and, at the moment, yeah. yeah. Form. I mean, the variety that he's bringing to each match. I mean, each match is different. Um, I haven't enjoyed. I, I didn't really like the Minoru Suzuki match, to be honest with you. No, me neither. But I really appreciate the fact that he was so different to everything else he'd done. I thought the Dustin Rhodes match was a, a, a real sort of a real gem, actually, because it was so different to everything else he'd done. Yeah. And I really liked the way that Dustin was like selling outside the ring like he was genuinely hurt. Yeah. There was nothing yeah. theatric. I mean, the word theatrical, you're not really allowed to use that word in connection with pro wrestling, but I'm sure you and others know what I mean. There was nothing theatrical about that match. It just felt authentic. Um, and I mean, obviously, the, the Kenny Omega match. I know you're not the, the world's biggest fan of Kenny. But well, I mean, well, you know. What did you, of, think to, what did you think to Omega, the Omega draw? Time, times have changed a little bit here on the old Dynamo's Dozen side. Um, listen, I only wanted a couple of things from Kenny. Um, and it wasn't much to ask. I mean, who am I, right, to ask of anything of Kenny Omega? But I mean, for me, just as to how he would win me over as, as a guy that could get behind him. He's done pretty much everything I've wanted. Um, he's brought a bit of character in there, um, yeah. you know, with himself and, uh, oh my God, what's his manager? Don Callis. Don Callis. I mean, Don Callis is, listen, I don't care what anyone says. He is doing his best Bobby the Brain Heenan impression at the moment these days. And I tell you, I think he's doing a mighty fine job. Um, you know what I mean? As well as he can do. And I think, oh, you, you'll recall this. I said, I wanted to see a bit of character from Kenny. I wanted to see a bit of depth about what he is. Yeah. I don't just want the big belt machine and the guy who just yeah. does the finger mac finger bang as Jim Cornette calls him and twinkle toes and all this kind of, all these words that, you know, people have used to describe him. I just wanted to see a bit of depth to the character and I wanted to know who Kenny Omega is. And I think that heel turn for him has done him the world of good. I think the look is great the way he went for the old party race, Triple H, Lemmy, Beard. Yeah. Um, I still think he's not the best on the mic. It's just in terms of he doesn't use his kind of, he doesn't get enough, yeah. I think, uh, uh, guttural kind of out of him. Yeah. You know what there's, I mean? But there's something about his promos that just don't, it's just not convincing. That's it. It doesn't connect with me. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, I want to see you angry. Like I want it because when he's in the ring angry, yeah, good lord, he's phenomenal. But it just doesn't seem to connect to his emotions verbally. Yeah, that's. I, I'm with you there on the on the promos. It's like yeah. it's, it's as if he doesn't believe what he's saying. Yeah, it's like a little bit of nervousness or something. Even though, do you know what I mean? Because maybe you know, because obviously in the ring, that's his happy place. He knows exactly what he's doing inside and out. And I mean, anyone can put on the bells and whistles and you know, doing the old. Diamond, you know, the old Diamond Dallas Page stuff and wear all the gimmicks and come out and look, yeah. look great. But but look, I, I still think that can be worked on um, with him. But I think, you know, he's grown 
as a performer as a whole for me as in yeah. he's you're not just watching him for a great wrestling match now there's a little bit of depth starting to come through the character yeah um, and i mean listen this has only been like a year or two i mean people were saying the same thing about roman reigns a while back and look at him now so i mean i think yeah. give kenny time and you could see a lot more so i am not a kenny um naysayer anymore i think um to, to answer your question the match with with brian the draw yeah listen i think these two guys i could watch them wrestle all the time and i still think that they would give you a different match every time as well so good lord that that the top part of that roster is stacked it is it's it's the most it's the most powerful upper you know upper level kind of tier of talent anywhere including wwe they are stacked in that in that respect um, yeah they've got a lot they've got a lot of people i mean i thought the, the omega match with christian cage uh in, oh, was a, a triumph as well and i really like fantastic uh, i think it's really a shame what happened at christian cage at the all-out event yeah and he was massively overshadowed he'd had that superb outstanding matchup uh with omega on rampage was it was it the premiere i think it was the rampage premiere wasn't it and then yes. I think Turned up the second week, um, and it was just like this is the sort of match that I want to see Kenny Omega have. And Christian and Cage really counteracted a lot of the aspects of Omega's act. That it's a pro, it was pro wrestling match, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Right, yeah, that's right. It was as if he said, "Right, is is the Christian Cage filler? I'm going to filter out a lot of that annoying, unnecessary stuff that we don't need." That he's yes. just going to drag the. I'm just. We're going to streamline this. We're going to strip this match down. It's yep. going to be lean and it's going to be mean. And the finish with the. Uh, um, it was the uh, on the chair, wasn't it? It'd yep. be prettier on the chair. Prettier, yeah. And, um, and it was just like what it just looked absolutely tremendous. Um, the problem, of course, was that match was so good and it was for the Impact World Title, which Cage won from Omega. And we knew that Cage wasn't going to defeat Omega again at the pay-per-view to capture the AEW world title. So they sort of shot themselves in the foot there, didn't they, by yeah. giving the best match away on free TV. And the other thing that overshadowed it all out was, of course, the, right, uh, the Adam Cole debut, firstly. And then poor Adam Cole was massively overshadowed by Brian Danielson. It's like, why the hell have you done two debuts on one show? Don't show you all your tricks at once. Exactly. Yeah, it's... it's, it's you I should, mean, have, I, just, you should it, have saved the Danielson possibly for the Grand Slam event, probably yeah. as a surprise guest, surprise opponent for Omega. That's yeah. what he should have done, really. Uh, rather than ruining Adam Cole's debut or not ruining it, but certainly diluting the impact of it. I think well, yeah, I would have, I would have personally, I thought about that one as well. I would have thought like it would have been really kind of cool for Omega to come out, you know, big dick Omega with all of his buddies and to say there's nobody in the back there. And maybe he could have said, you know, he could have alluded in some way to not include Pumpkin at the show. There's a little bit of a cowardly heel. But yeah. there's nobody in there that could beat me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you have Daniel Bryan come out and say, well, you know what I mean? That would have been, doom. that would have been oh. your, that would have been your TV ratings boost too. Um, yeah. It could have essentially leaked the word, the information. They could have spread the word beforehand that he was going to be there. 
I mean, exactly. everyone knew the film was going to be there on that rampage from Chicago. So, I mean, they could have done that. And it would have protected, and also it would have protected Christian Cage at all out. Yes. And yes. Um, his aura to some extent or his, his prestige. And it would have made Adam Cole's debut feel bigger as well. But anyway, that's yeah. in the past now. But yeah, back that to Full Gear. Yeah, I enjoyed Danielson and Miro as well. The only thing I will say is I just felt that Miro should have won. I mean, Danielson, okay, he's now entered the feud with Hangman Adam Page, but it's like, well, what the hell does Miro do? He lost the TNT title to Sammy Guevara. I thought that was really rushed. He should have saved that title change until the pay-per-view instead of just giving it away on TV. Then yeah. Miro disappeared. Miro was brought back to replace John Moxley. And then it seemed like, wow, you know, Miro's on the up again. You know, this is it. He's on an upward trajectory. His career's going somewhere in the finalist tournament. The winner of which becomes the number one contender to the AEW world title. And it's like, well, what does Miro do now? And I think Miro Page would have been a really good first feud for, for Hangman Page, Hangman Adam Page. Yeah. And Danielson wouldn't have lost anything by going down in defeat to Miro. And he could have then done the feud with Page next year after Page had beaten Miro. So I, I, I just feel like they're kind of rushing him into this feud with Page. And what the hell does Miro do next here? You know? Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, instead of going through the matches, we're actually going to look at it as to what's next for certain guys. Because we haven't mentioned CM Punk. We obviously now, after seeing what transpired last night with um, with, with Daniel Bra with Brian Danielson, should I say, um, coming out and uh, basically possibly showing a little bit of heel element. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, kind so, of walking the back order. Yeah. Yeah. Some pointed stuff in there. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll take a little break and we'll look at what is potentially coming from this. Are they rushing it too much? Is it the right way to go? Let's have a chat and we'll be right back. And we are back. And there's no adverts on the animals, does it? So in fairness, you're just going to see literally no break. But there was a break there. So okay. just to, uh, to ruin the illusion for all of you guys and girls watching. Um, <laughs> one day there will be ads in between it and you'll be like fuck you Dynamo fuck you <laughs> um, so we were talking there just before um, in terms of looking at where we go now looking yes. to the future one name that I mentioned um, is CM Punk who has kind of I think smartly tried to build his stock a little bit while helping other people build their stock too within the company. Um, and he's kind of not putting himself in the title picture just quite yet. I think there will be an eventual turn with Punk and you will start to see some of the old Punk. I mean, he's quite an intellectual dude. He's quite shrewd. He knows what he's doing. And I think you will eventually see a run there where he's challenging somebody at the top um, for the title. But I think he's the only one there that's trying to do the slow build until you see his program with Eddie Kingston. I mean, talk to me, Finn. Obviously, the promo from CM Punk since he's come back has been phenomenal. He, he, the guy can talk. He can always talk. And then yeah. when you put him in there in a scenario where you've got him and Eddie Kingston having beef with each other, I mean, that, that, that promo on Rampage was phenomenal. And it was very authentic. 
Yeah, very authentic. I mean, I would have liked more of an explanation for what it was that they were talking about. Why I mean, are they? Yeah, why, why, we're just meant to know that an ROH, these guys didn't like each other. Is this just for the smart fan? What if, what if I just become a, a fan of AW and I don't know the, the backstory? Like, what's, give, yeah. give, give me something. <laughs> I mean, you had to sort of piece it together. It's like, well, so they knew each other like 15 years ago or 16 years ago or 17 years ago or an indeterminate period of time ago. Um, and something happened backstage and Kingston was accusing Punk of um, using his stroke backstage to get ahead and stepping on other people. And then Punk's like, well, what, you know, what you want about? This didn't happen, but they didn't really explain what had happened. No. And then Punk, it appeared that Punk became a tween or a heel and he described Eddie Kingston as a bum, as a guy who had the talent but wasn't willing to put the work in. And he felt to me like he was becoming the villain in the scenario and uh-huh. that Kingston was the good guy. Sure. I mean, sure. Kingston yells a lot, screams a lot. So, I mean, he's a naturally a heel, I think. But, I mean, more like an anti-hero or a tweener. I mean, That's anyway, cool. the AEW audience like him. So, I mean, he, I think he was the good guy and Punk was the bad guy. Yeah, but, I, I mean, we so. had to sort of work, work that out for ourselves. They had another scrap. Uh, well, not they didn't actually make contact, did they? They had like a pull apart in the car park. Which um, I thought was done very well, I have to say. Because yeah. a lot of times that can be a little bit of a cluster, but I thought that looked pretty nice, to be fair. It did, yeah. It felt spontaneous. Like yes. they really went into each other and they were held apart and it didn't go on too long. No. And sometimes these pull aparts just go on and on and on and on. And no. they're just, you know, it was like legit. Eight, they were like, come at me. And then they were trying to break away. And it was, and, and, and it was very old WCW. In the sense that it was like, oh, we got something going on in the back. You know what I mean? It was that, that's it, that's it. But I mean, it's also when you see these pull aparts and they've got eight, eight, it's sometimes eight or nine people holding someone back and then they break through. And it's just like, mm. so they weren't doing that. I thought that was, that did feel genuine. It did feel realistic. Um, and all this led to the match at full gear. And it, I was hoping that Kingston would win because I thought that this would be a huge boost for him. And this could be a match and a victory that would really change his career um, and also would prolong the feud and lead to a rematch between them, which I think would have been really good for both men and for AEW. But alas, CM Punk won. After the match at full gear, uh, Punk held out his hand. Kingston refused to accept his handshake. He stormed off sort of felt like there was more to the story there's more to tell um because you know, punk had told us that kingston wasn't in his league wasn't his his level wasn't somebody who was willing to put the work in and that was why he was an underachiever and his career and f- fulfilled you know high expectations and it was as if punk who as we've just pointed out was actually the villain in the in the uh in this arrangement in this uh in this scenario, Punk was actually proven right, wasn't he? Yeah. And, yeah. The, and now we know from Dynamite last night that Punk um, is transitioning into a series with MJF. It looks like the Punk Kingston series is over after one match. So yeah. I'm a bit perplexed by it all. Yeah, like, I mean, there's 17 years of animosity from one side here. You're thinking, now, listen, let's, let's not 
let's give Tony the benefit of the doubt here and maybe Kingston's going away because he's talked recently about having an injury and stuff like that, the shoulder. So maybe Eddie Kingston comes and potentially costs Punk a match against someone like MJF, which helps build the MJF character a little bit. You see now, Tony, this is free advice. You can take it. Um, This is what I would personally do. Have Kingston play some sort of part in, 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 cost and punk a match and then we can get back to that we can peel the layers off a little bit and strip the yeah. onion down and um have a bit of a program there um and you know if that's the route they're going you know i can i can definitely get behind that and uh, it builds it builds both characters but i mean long term it helps kingston because as i say kingston isn't the kind of guy that has to get a clean win he no. can go for a low blow win and then hook the tights you know what i mean no. So <clears throat> I think if they went with that, it helps three people in, in, in one scenario because, A, it's not going to hurt Punk, but it's going to help Kingston. Yeah, It's going to help MJF because he can come out and flaunt the fact that he beat CM Punk even though he had help from the outside and then he's got that one. <coughs> no better person than MJF to, you know, to gloat about a cheap victory. So yeah, they, and they then could. and then and that would then entitle him to a shot at Hangman Adam Page's title, assuming Page retains against Brian Danielson. Um, should to me, should do. But to me, that you know the Kingston and Punk thing, it's like okay, you don't need to prolong this till February March. No, the viewers occurring, but they could have run it for a few more weeks and built to a t- big TV match in December. That's that's what I'm thinking. So they might no, do that. Could have done that. And then you, know, then, you do punk, then you do Punk versus MGF. Exactly. I mean, that was the way to go. And, you know, Kingston's somebody that the AEW faithful are really behind. Yep. And, and yet he never wins. And, and maybe that doesn't matter in the long run. But to me, that was a golden opportunity to really elevate Kingston and also to prove Punk wrong, who does come across as arrogant and obnoxious. He absolutely does. And then Punk maybe has to acknowledge that he was wrong. You know, and that he underestimated Eddie Kingston. And then you've got this sort of moment where you've got this respect. Maybe then you've got the handshake afterwards. But to me, there's so much they could have done there with Kingston and Punk. And even if he's got an injury, I think he could have worked through it for one more sort of brawling match. They could have done a street fight. There was a lot of shortcuts they could have done. Absolutely. Could have done it on Rampage where it's... it's, um, it's oh, no, that, you know, Rampage... I mean, look at Rampage last week did 515,000 viewers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also the other thing as well with AEW right now is we were just talking about Kingston and Punk and this sort of inside storyline. If you want to appeal to a larger audience, which presumably CM Punk and Brian Danielson were hired at great expense to draw a larger audience to the AEW product... They're actually behind where they were before they brought these two guys in. So you've got to look to try and gear um, your storylines to a wider audience. You can't just, you know, if you make them accessible to like a smaller sort of diehard audience, if that's the only, if that's, if that's who they are geared towards, that's the only people really who are going to watch. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you've got to have more ambition, I think, with what you're doing to try and bring those, you know, those those WWE, you know, those disgruntled WWE fans or those laps fans that don't who don't feel that WWE is for them anymore. There's a massive audience of former TNA fans 
who um, might be willing to watch AEW. Maybe they are watching AEW. But to me, you know, I was always familiar with this when I was running Power Slam, is that if you make it really hardcore and really inside and you don't explain things, then people won't understand what you're on about and you'll deter them from buying your product. And the same goes for the TV show. So try and make it accessible to as large an audience as possible. Exactly. And we are in a time where people's attention spans are lower than ever. <laughs> than ever. Are, you know what I mean? This gimmick of the phone in the hand going on Twitter, oh, this is on in the background. If you don't have something that it grows, I personally think that they need to speed up the process with Punk of getting them to the CM Punk that was was over in WWE. I understand he's in a different place. He's happy to be working again. He's happy to be wrestling. He's got the time and all this kind of stuff. But really, he's got to become the anti-hero really quick. Yeah. Um, he really has. I mean, you've got to, you've got to get him coming out being angry about something. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know what way. I mean, there's plenty of options that they can do here. But this is, this is on Tony Khan and the Riders here now. You know what I mean? Punk and Brian have been brought in for the money. It's not their fault that, you know, they're being booked a certain way. They're, they're yeah. being paid to do a job. So it's not like they can come in and just sprinkle magic dust themselves. They can, I mean, in terms of what they've well, produced. I've got, to, I've got to disagree with you there, Ian. I think both of those guys have got enough clout backstage that they could, they could say to Tony, you know, okay, Tony might, you know, Tony is the, the man in charge. We know that. Sure. He's the boss, but he's going to respect um their suggestions mm. he's going to be willing to implement them if they strongly push for them okay because well then these fair guys enough. have been doing this forever they're yeah. making a lot of money he yeah. obviously respects their talent and i'm sure their input as well and i'm sure he wants them to be happy in AEW. so uh, i think if Punk or Brian had a suggestion that they really wanted to go with. I think Tony would at least consider it. No, fair enough. I get you, and 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 I'm glad you disagree with me there because I'm going with with something more in the sense of that. I think it's not solely on them, is what I'm saying. Like yes, they can't, not absolutely. not every kind of idea that they bring is going to be amazing. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why you always had a filter in WWE with the likes of Vince McMahon, they'd be like, okay, well, this will work. But we know historically, especially Punk, storyline-wise, we know that he can sink his teeth into something and make it run for a year or so. And I think more so than Brian. Brian's the guy that you're going to be watching to have those excellent matches. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, we've not seen Brian, like, there's nothing, it's not like a massively huge standout storyline where Brian held people in the palm of his hands for a whole year. Yeah. Whereas Punk has that capability, whereas Brian can just give you, you know, 10 star matches every time. Um, I mean, so, I actually think Danielson really needs to amp up the character as I well. I keep saying Daniel Bryan. It's just, it's in my head. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and Jim Ross. <laughs> me and Jim. But, but yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> to me, Danielson, I think he really needs to turn up the volume on the character. I think he needs to be more larger than life. Let's go and with this always, then. Let's we go know he's this. We've seen that in so many of the matches that he's had, um, whether it's against Kenny Omega, whether it's against Dustin Rhodes, match with Miro was really good. Sadly, I just would like to point out, I'm sure you noticed as well, it's sort of a bit of a subdued atmosphere because he'd done 
so much in the first two matches. MGF and Darby Allen had done so much in that match. And then Penta and Phoenix had done so much in the match against FTR. I, I felt that the, the audience was kind of a bit there, worn out. There's a, a rule. I'm, I'm looking at this. 22 minutes and six seconds for the opening match. 18 minutes and 30 seconds for the second match. 20 minutes for the third match. 22 minutes for the fourth match. Yeah. Like anybody who knows anything about pro wrestling from a gym show all the way, you know, to main event level, your opening match has got to be, in my opinion, you know, a six to 10 minute match. You got to, no. you got to get something in there that gets them excited, gets them popping. Yeah. Sets the, sets the tone and the agenda. And then maybe in the second match, you can put in something a little bit more spicy and then you slow it down a little bit. Maybe have more matches on the pay-per-view even, if, if need be, of shorter yeah. ones that kind of either, you know, have a, a, a part to play in terms of feuds that are ongoing. That yeah. is something that WCW done under Eric Bischoff's watch better than anybody. Yeah. Better than yeah. anybody. I mean, WWE does that as well. They know how to arrange a show. Exactly. It's it's all about preparation and, and it like it's it's and, and again we're going back to we're we're playing into the smart fan, but you know, in a four hour pay per view, which I think four hours is too long anyway. I yeah. I, oh yeah. Just, there was there was. I mean, it was just an there was like, an excess. CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, eleven minutes. That would have been perfect for your second match. You know what I yes. mean? Or your third, because then you're like, whoa, we're getting into it real early on. Yeah. Nice yeah. little opener at the start. You know, I don't know who pick any names, but nice little opener. Then get into it. Eddie Kingston, Punk. Okay, now you've really got me excited, and it's only eleven yeah. minutes. You're expecting it to be probably thirty minutes or forty minutes, but it's eleven minutes, and there's enough of a story being told in that eleven minutes that you're happy. Exactly. I mean, it's like going from three course meal, isn't it? Yeah. And having the main course first and the yes. starter second or the starter last or in this case three courses of main course oh yeah exactly because you're full after the first course you know what i mean that's absolutely right actually that's a much better analogy than the one that i just came up with but i mean i thought Britt baker and, T and ty conti which i didn't really think was very much wasn't very a good match i'm not really i don't really rate Britt baker or ty conti but it had that match gone on second and been a lot shorter. I think they were out there about 15 minutes, which was too long for those two. Had that been like eight, nine minutes, that would have been a good call. Good shout for a second match. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But let's let's get on to, I mean, I like I said, I think there's more to come from Punk. I just think they maybe need to speed up the process and find the right fit now instead of having gone through different guys. Yeah. Listen, if they want to go with this, this MJF and Punk thing, I think this could be genius. This is something I was looking forward to for a long time because both of them are Piper guys and both of them have pipe bombs in their arsenal. Yeah. And if they want to do a long-term feud out of this, and I think Punk has to lose the first match, whether it be outside interference and he needs to go and take care of Eddie Kingston in the meantime and come back to it, I don't know what way they're going with that. But yeah. <clears throat> this is the kind of thing where Punk can sink his teeth into and MJF can start bringing out, you've gone soft, you're old now, like you're not angry about anything. And he can kind of get Punk angry again and get him fired up and be that yeah. Punk that will resonate with the 
average Joe, but also the hardcore punk fans, which are still out there. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think I'm not worried about punk. I think that will happen eventually. I just think they need to speed it up a little bit. Um, I don't know whether you agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the, the person I sort of feel sorry for is Darby Allen, who yeah. you know lost to Punk all out. I mean, I enjoyed the match, but it just Great match. came from out of nowhere. I mean, it's like a sparse match, a lean match, stripped down, which that show desperately needed more of those type of matches on that pay-per-view. Uh, I'm, I don't know whether it was my favourite match on the show. It actually probably was. Um, but I did feel kind of bad for Darby that he lost Punk in Punk's first match. And it was just like, okay, well, perhaps Darby shouldn't be beating CM Punk. But my argument would be CM Punk versus Darby is a match for down the road. Yeah. You know, at the end of a story, and maybe Darby's the guy that hands Punk his first, deals Punk his first loss in AEW to really enrich, enhance Darby Allen. Kingston um, would have been a great first thing, actually. Like you say, you know when Kingston said, I'm going to be the guy to say it because nobody else, everybody else is afraid to say it. Nobody wants you here. Yeah. That would have been a great introduction for Punk. And Punk would be like, okay, yeah. what, what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? Would have been. Uh, but the thing about that, that would have then cast Eddie Kingston as the villain and Punk as the face. And there is some, seems a bit muddled that Punk was really cast as the villain in the Kingston feud, then beat him. You know, yeah. saying these guys. Are it depends on the direction they want to go. Where do, do, yeah, a, and, now, every, and yeah. Now punks, punks against MGF is definitely the heel in that conflict. So I'm a bit perplexed as to what they're doing with this guy. And I know he can pull it off because he's talented enough to do so. Mm. But I mean, to me, it's like, well, you need that structure. You need this booking discipline. It needs to be joined up. Um, and I think if your long-term plan is to attract more viewers to AEW Dynamite, which has to be the goal, it has to be, then it needs to have some structure and it needs to make sense. And this just all feels, um, you know, flying by the seat of the pants. Like it's just like made up on the fly. And Can we know, just hire, uh, I'm just going to throw it out there, Tony. Would you not just hire... You know, just just get Kevin Sullivan in there to put some of this stuff together a little bit, maybe. You know what I mean? Someone like that. You know, someone like that just to put these, just to make a little bit of sense of some of the some of the stuff. Yeah. You know, it needs yeah. somebody like that because, you know, I, uh, there's just too many cooks in the kitchen at the moment. And look, I'm rooting for them. I'm a lot more positive on AEW than I than I was the last time we yeah. spoke. So and I'm, and I'm getting into it. I'm behind it. Um, but let's move on from Punk. Oh, it's Sorry, can I just say one more thing about Darby? I started the thing. Say whatever you want, Darby. my friend. Yeah, yeah. So he, he lost to Punk, which, you know, I enjoyed the match. But to me, that felt like a match for early next year. Um, and then Darby faces MJF at full gear. Um, and had Darby won the match at all out, it wouldn't have really been such a big thing for him to lose to MJF. I've got no objection at all to Alan losing to MJF. But coming on the heels of the loss to CM Punk, it just feels like Darby Allen doesn't win the big one. He's yeah. really yeah. portrayed as, as a bit of a loser. And I know MGF, there's lots of skullduggery, you know, it was actually, if you notice the finish, uh, one of Allen's shoulders wasn't even down on the finish, but I think that was a bit of a yes. screw. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we had the diamond, diamond, dynamite, diamond ring on the finish. 
I thought the finish was a bit weak, really, and I know it was designed to protect Derby. But again, you know, he's lost another pay-per-view match. And I think whatever he does next, he absolutely has to win if he's going to be, like, the person they think he's going to be. So yes, he just, to me, yeah. just feels like he's he's not... I think I think there's there's so much more he can do, and whatever he does next, he has to win that feud. Otherwise, he's going to potentially turn into an Orange Cassidy. And I know you're not an Orange Cassidy fan, but if you look at where Cassidy was like six, seven months ago versus where he is now, he's like on the verge of you know being relegated to darker elevation, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Which is probably where where he should be. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, I agree with that. But the point being that Orange Cassidy <laughs> was a guy who AEW fans were really into a while ago. And now, because he's, you know, his role has been severely diminished, he's somebody they're not really that bothered yeah. about anymore. And he was he was all hype, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Alan, to me, seems like he probably won't be. I think he'd probably be all right. But he's somebody who could go down that road, and that would be a shame. And I think that would be a disservice, and a disservice to him if that were the direction he were to go next. Yeah, like there's a lot more upside to a Darby Allen yeah. than, a, than an Orange Cassidy, you know. And look, to be honest with you, I have no agenda against Orange Cassidy. I think I've done that for the pop there and I got it from you, Finley. So, uh, but yeah, he does belong in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's get on to uh, looking at two guys at the moment. Obviously, Hangman Page. Um, somebody I've kind of been rooting for from the start. I like his look. Um, you know, he has that look of like a modern Magnum TA kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Good looking guy. Got the hair. He's got a look. He's a big guy and big frame. He's come back in better shape as well. He looked the bigger of the two between him and Omega as well. So yeah. he's obviously really concentrating on the gym side of things as well. Yeah. I think Omega actually has lost weight though, because he's got a lot, he's carrying a lot of injuries. You know, we're not going to see him for a while. Sure. I think, sure. I think that. Uh, really uh, affected his training. Probably, um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, Paige is, was in good shape, is in good shape, um, you know, and he's, he, he looks like he's he's built for the task, doesn't he? Yes. You know, yes. some people in wrestling don't look like they're built for the task, but Hangman Adam Page does. He does. And it was a hell of a match. We won't get into the match because I know you you covered it already. Um, I thought it was a great match. I thought, um, I thought he hung in there with Kenny. Um, I thought, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Hangman slow it down a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I don't think, I think he should maybe, you know, I've always said he, this. Like He did a lot of aerial moves in the match. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Three in a row. And it's yeah. just, you only really needed to do one there. That was yeah. I'd like to see him kind of maybe sit down and watch some old tapes of someone like a Magnum TA or Ric Flair or Bret Hart a little bit and know when to slow it down, slow the pace down. Because when you're in there, you're not in there to try and match Kenny Omega because he's the guy that can go. He's the big belt machine. He, you know, he's basically, uh, he's a dynamo. <laughs> you know what hey. I mean? In that sense, he, he's just going to keep on going. Yeah, that's um, right. He's the Duracell bunny. Exactly. Whereas... You need someone like a hangman to just work a little bit, work a rest hold a little bit from time to time and make the make the high spots mean a little bit more, especially coming from a man his size. He doesn't need to um, you know, wrestle like he's he's in New Japan. 
it's 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 yeah american yeah, pro wrestling here it's like he's wrestling like he's a junior heavyweight and you should really yes in like a more like a stan hansen style yeah. right yes. you didn't see stan hansen flying off the top rope did you and doing all these crazy air i rope. mean his high spot is his finisher that book shot lariat i mean that is perfect that's all you need boom yeah. that's that's your that's your money move yeah keep the rest Keep the rest in reserve, or or just keep them away. So, um, but I do see a lot of potential in this kid, um, and I think him winning the belt. I, I again, I don't know whether it's the right timing or not. I thought Kenny was on a good run. Um, I thought mm, would have made more sense for Brian to take it from Kenny. Yeah. I mean, I thought that's what the draw. I yeah. thought that's what the purpose of the draw was to set up a title match at the pay per view. And I think lots of other people came to the same conclusion. And instead, it was Hangman Adam Page versus Kenny Omega. I know they were revisiting the story that ended when Page took some time off because his uh, wife was having a baby, you know, and, um, and everyone understands why he decided to take some time off. And I thought it was really good that AEW gave him that time off. Yeah, um, it's good know, to see a human wrestling company, isn't it? Nice. Yeah, yeah. In the in the past, wrestling promotions were certainly not as accommodating as AEW is. So good on them for that. Absolutely. And um, you know, I sort of felt like it was a bit rushed. I would have preferred Brian to have ended Kenny Omega's uh, title reign, and then Brian Danielson to have dropped the belt to Page at the Feb March pay per view. That's how I would have liked to have seen Me the story too. play out. But, I mean, this was the direction they went in. They committed to it, uh, and Paige won the belt, and um, this is where we're at. And uh, absolutely, I, I wish Paige all the success in the in the world as well. I like that he's a humble guy, yeah. which is quite unusual for a pro wrestler. Maybe he needs to start turning that up a little bit now. Well, you know, he's champ. You know, maybe, you know, those self-confidence issues have surely been conquered after he defeated Kenny Omega and became champ. So I think he needs to get away from the character that he was and try and evolve and develop something new that's a world champion level character. Exactly. And we, we saw some of this last night on Dynamite where obviously Brian came out to kind of probe and you think he's coming out to congratulate him. But Brian, a little bit of a possible heel turn going on here, which um, which I think makes sense because Brian is a, is a great heel as well. Yeah, um, and I think it does make sense that Brian would turn heel on this. You know what I mean? Um, just because because of the fact that he's in there with Adam Page and they built him up to be their babyface. I mean, I suppose Tony and the guys have a lot of pride in the fact that he's their guy. You know, yeah. I mean? he, he's their project. So I understand them wanting to kind of keep him babyface and 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 you know have him go in and. And have a program with uh, with Daniel with Brian Danielson. God Danielson. Brian Danielson. That's it. Well, Jim I mean, Ross you know, Kelly here. <laughs> I mean, at least you haven't mentioned anything about four pillows. Did you catch that one? I did. I did. Four pillows. Oh dear. Not four pillars. Can we get a? Can we get Tony Schiavone as the play-by-play guy for the moment? <laughs> I mean, they've mentioned these four pillars. Again and again. This yeah. is not a new thing. I mean, you know, they're trying to replicate old Japan in the 1990s when it was Mizawa, yeah. Kawada, Kabashi and Tawe, the four pillars, right? Um, so we know the big fans of old Japan. 
and uh, they want to try and duplicate that or mimic that. Uh, but how can JR not know that that's what they're referring to when it's been mentioned again and again? And, you know, you can kind of say, well, JR was working for WCW, which did not have a relationship with All Japan. They had the New Japan relationship. And then he was working for WWF, um, which was obviously a very hectic job, long hours. And it must have been very difficult for him to keep up with other forms of pro wrestling. But I mean, All Japan was not some rinky-dink league in the 1990s. No. You know, how can he not know about the four pillars? I'm astounded by this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is what it is. Oh, look, I love good old JR. So it's, 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 but yeah, you, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to really to, to argue. I, I, I will mention one thing. I'm not a fan of uh, Excalibur, as, as everyone knows. And I'm only not a fan of because I don't like him wearing the, the silly mask. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, again, it's another indie play. You know what I mean? And yeah. His ego yeah, yeah. and whatever he thinks he is is, has yeah. kind of allowed him to wear that. I still think he should be just there, sat as he is, because I think he's doing a good job in terms of his play-by-play. -play. When I don't have to see him, he's definitely improved. You know what I mean? He's he's become a bit more diplomatic, and he's not as much of a fanboy for you know Omega and all these guys as he was. Yeah. So yeah. he's improved, but you gotta get that stupid bloody gimmick off him. Um, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. We're not yeah. gonna. I, I'm with you on that one. It's like, it's like, well, we're supposed to know that you were a pro wrestler. Now, I mean, if this was like, you know, the destroyer up there, you know what I mean? Or, the mass assassin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Story, or, yeah. Or, or we were in Georgia and it was Mr. Wrestling 2 or something. Then that would be different. But I mean, Exc Excalibur, he wrestled for like PWG. I mean, I know he wrestled for lots of different companies. But Fans of WWE and national wrestling companies probably have never seen this guy in the ring. Ever. So it's not like he's an established star, is it? And it's a good job they didn't. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about Hangman Adam Page, but, yeah, we're fans of his, you know, and we're, we're willing him on to succeed, aren't we? So this is what I'm going to ask you. We, we kind of close off with this. In terms of... You think a Daniel Bryan heel turn and this makes sense because we saw Ellen Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson. American Dragon. Do you think American it makes sense? Probably not. <laughs> People are shouting at the screen. God damn it, Kelly, get away from WWE. So I'm gonna say this one more time. Okay. You all ready for it? I'm ready. Do you think that it makes sense for Brian Danielson? to turn heel on this particular uh, program and at, at this particular time, do you think it needs it or do you think he just needs to play more so the antagonist role to get into? Um, well, he needs to at least be a tweener. So he needs to be the, the, the villain or he didn't have to be a full-blown heel. That could come later. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, it seems too soon for him to turn. But... We are where we are, you know. This is exactly this is these are the players, and they are placed in these positions. So Page is champ. We know he's a baby face, he's not turning. There's just no way he's turning. No. which means if anyone's turning, it has to be Danielson. All feels a bit rushed to me, 
But you know what? It can work. Both of these guys are talented enough and over enough to make it work. So I don't think it's going to be a problem in the long or, or never mind long run, short run in yep. the short term. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think they're going to make it work. Um, is Paige going to be the one to defeat Danielson? I would think so. Yeah, Surely he's not going to lose the belt to Danielson. No, if they, if, if, if they make him lose to Danielson straight away, then, you know, there needs to be... Like, I don't know whether... Because I do like Tony Khan, like I say. He's a hard guy not to like. Um, I mean, he treats his staff well. You know, he's, he's, he's built a company from the ground up and they're definitely, definitely, you know, doing something right. You know, and for me personally, they're my favorite product at the moment, at this moment in time, just from bell to bell kind of uh, perspective. But I wonder with Tony, is he kind of burning the candle at both ends? Does he need somebody in there, like a team of people, the way Vince had back in the day or the way Bischoff had, you know, trusted trusted guys like Bischoff obviously had Kevin Sullivan who would kind of take care of that mid character, you know, the structure of the show. Like yeah. you mentioned early on, like that, right? You're, you know, a, a, a seasoned veteran that can go. Look, your opener has got to be just a crowd pleaser. You know, well, obviously he does because you just spelled out why he does. Yeah. You know, yes. The simple answer is yes. He, he needs does. it. He needs you know, it. But, but to me, Ian, he's got lots of veterans on the team already. I know. Tully, Jake. Yeah. You know, Aaron. I mean, JR, you know, Jr. worked there. JR WWF, WWF stroke E forever, Tony Schiavone um, has huge amounts of experience in pro wrestling. I'm sure Excalibur has experience of booking. Yeah, um, I mean, even, even Excalibur, yeah, would know, like, you know, for whatever you we know, say about him. Jerry Lynn backstage, the, they got yeah. Dean Malenko. There's a lot of people there. I mean, even, I don't know if he's still there, no, Sanjay Dutt. Uh, Sanjay Dutt. Is Steamboat there now, or did they... I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, they've got loads of people backstage. Yeah. Know these things. This is just basic stuff, as you have pointed out. It's basic. So, yeah. I mean, he he's the boss. He's making the decisions. And that's it. I mean, yeah. I mentioned earlier that Danielson and Punk could probably get something through if they wanted to. And I think they could. Because yeah. they're big enough names and they've got enough cashier backstage. But maybe, maybe it's still early on in... Punk and Brian's career, so maybe it's a case that they're still in that excitement level. But yeah. I think I think if this goes on, say another six months, then you'd probably see the likes of them go. Look, maybe we need to go this way. You know yeah. what I mean? So again, we got to give it time. I mean, it's yeah. they've only got their two biggest stars in in the company. You know what? Not even six months. Yeah, well, Punk came in in August, and Brian yeah. came in. September, didn't he? So three, uh, three, three months and two months. You know what I mean. Yeah. So it's it's very very early stages. So there is there is a lot to be excited about in terms of potential if you're an armchair booker and stuff like that. So and yeah, I do, I do see the excitement there. But um, I suppose we'll we'll kind of wrap up there. Finn, is there anything you would like to talk about or mention before we before we wrap it up? Just inside the ropes, uh, wrestling magazine. Uh, which is out right now. Oh, just here's the latest issue. Has uh, Brock Lesnar on the front cover. Looking so pretty awesome as well. Check that out. So uh, yeah, check that out. It's in uh, it's in the shops uh, in the UK and Ireland as well, I believe. 
it is. Um, and um, you can subscribe to it. You can buy single copies of it. Go to the Inside the Ropes website. So, uh, yeah, hopefully people will check that out. Um, I, I think I did like 10 pages in the latest issue. So they've uh, they've managed to, uh, actually, no, they haven't managed to twist my arm. I've happily agreed to contribute more to the magazine. I'll be doing 10 pages in the next issue as well, reviewing Survivor Series. I do a two-page Q&A. Uh, and I do um, What's Going Down, which is the like news and opinion, and a column called From the Top, which is like larger stories, sort of news and opinion, but I really tackle the bigger stories. So I'm a huge part of that publication. So if you, if you like what I've got to say here, then hopefully you'll like what I've got to write in Inside the Ropes magazine. But I'll, as ever, the public will decide. They will be the judge. They will. And listen, everybody that knows me at this point know that I grew up on Finn's work. So uh, you'd be doing me a huge service and favor as well if you do uh, either like, well, if you, I won't say like or subscribe because we're talking about a YouTube channel there. But if you do subscribe to the uh, to the publication and you, you're old school, like yours truly, and you like to have the physical copy of something in your hand, it's well worth um, the subscription. Or if you're like myself, who likes to just go out every month because I was brought up that way, Finn. That's that's the way sure. that's the way that's the way you reared me <laughs> without exactly. even knowing it. Without even knowing it. Support your local news agent. There isn't that many of them left, sadly. Exactly, exactly. You know, I like to go to uh, to Easton's here in Ireland, which it is available here in Easton's in Ireland. And of course, as Finn yes, mentioned, is. it's um it's everywhere in the UK. And um, so do go and check it out. It is a fantastic uh, publication. I have supported it from day one, as you know, Finn. And uh, I have them all stacked up nicely there, along we with- We appreciate uh, that. Uh, we appreciate that, Ian. Of course, along with my, my beautiful Power Slam magazines as well. And if you were just checking this out and you've never heard of it, and you were a fan of the old Power Slam magazines and you're a fan of Finn's work from, from years gone by, Trust me, it's done in the very, very same vein. It's the same kind of grain of paper. It's the same size. It's a very, very similar format. And it's it's just a fantastic publication. It's the best out there. So please do go and uh, give Finn a subscription or go and check out, as he said, your local news agent and pick up a copy today. Yeah, it's not my magazine, by the way. I'm just, uh, to use CM Punk vernacular, I'm just a spoke on the wheel. <laughs> well, yeah. But still real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Finn, as always, a pleasure to uh, to catch up with you. And it's our, our quarterly meeting. I believe this is probably our final quarter for the year. Are I'm we, sure we, it will be, yes. Yeah. I'm sure it will be. And uh, markedly different tone when it comes to AEW, which is, I think, I've found refreshing. And me too. And hopefully the viewers, the listeners will find... Uh, and refreshing also, but uh, yeah. yeah, very different tone about AEW to uh, where we've discussed the company uh, on my previous visits to your show. Absolutely. So it shows that the trajectory, the trajectory is in the right direction. Um, yeah. So I suppose as pro wrestling fans, long may it continue. Absolutely. Great. Uh, yeah. And thanks very much, Ian, for having me on. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you in 2022. Well, I'm sure yourself and myself will have an own Zoom catch up over the uh, over the, the, the festivities over the, the over the Christmas, and we'll try and catch up for an hour and maybe have a beer over Zoom. And we won't we won't record it. We'll just uh, we'll keep that one private. Exactly. We'll, uh, That's it. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely catch up. 
for sure. sure. Um, but yeah, until the new year, um, until I see you in the new year and the audience sees you in the new year from uh, me at Dynamo's Dozen and Dynamo Podcast, Podcast Network, I hope you have a great Christmas and uh, have a great one, Finn. Yeah, and you as well, Ian. I hope everything goes well. I uh, hope there's no lockdowns or anything like that in the interim. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I think we're going to be all right here in England, but you never know. Well, I think on that note, <laughs> for Ian the Dynamo Kelly, Finley Martin, Dynamo Dozen is over and out.